Thank you for that choir. This morning, our Luke text takes us to the ancient temple in Jerusalem. At the time, the temple would have been the center of Jewish religious life, the place where Jewish men and women would go to commune with one another and with their Lord most perfectly. And so here in Jesus' parable, it's no surprise that these two men have come to the temple in order to pray, in order to talk with their God. They certainly, however, have not come to talk to one another. I thank you, Lord. The first man says, the Pharisee in the story, that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. The text tells us that the Pharisee was standing all alone while he prayed. But he couldn't have been any more alone there in the temple than he was in his own mind. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other people. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. At this point, most sermons on this text and most commentators on this passage like to paint this story in black and white. Make it about heroes and villains and then make the Pharisee out to be the bad guy. But why? His prayer does not make him a bad guy. He's not a thief, a rogue, or a fornicator. He has mastered his bodily appetites. I fast twice a week, he says. He is spiritually mature enough to know better than to hoard his possessions. I tithe. Everything I get. And there's nothing in Luke's gospel that should make us question whether or not he is lying about any of this. I mean, all things considered, the Pharisee is actually a pretty stand-up guy. Self-possessed, self-disciplined, generous to all around him. The kind of guy who, if you lived in Jerusalem at the time and you saw him walking along the street, a part of you would want to point him out to your kids as somebody that they should look up to. Conversely, if you saw the tax collector in today's text walking down the sidewalk towards you, a part of you would want to stop and cross the street just so you wouldn't have to face him. This is because when we hear tax collector in the New Testament, we don't need to think I-R-S. We instead need to think traitor, Benedict Arnold, folks like that. Tax collectors, you see, did not simply collect money. They collaborated with the Romans, turning their backs on their own people and siding with their enemies. 
On top of this, whenever they did go around collecting monies, they were known to steal, to take up more money than was actually needed so that they themselves could skim some off the top. So again, whenever we come to this story, we need to be careful This isn't a story that's black and white, that's about good guys and bad guys, about how we just need to be a little bit less like the Pharisee and a little bit more like the tax collector. Because if truth be told, each and every one of us is a little bit like both of them. None of us is quite as good, maybe, as the Pharisee. None of us is quite as vicious, perhaps, as a tax collector. But all of us will have shades of each in our persons. There's goodness and badness in all of us, of course. And depending on what day it is, we might look a little bit more and a little bit less like either one of them. Because after all... This is a parable, a story that Jesus is telling in order to teach, which means that these two guys aren't actually guys. They're characters in a story, fictions made up in order to make a larger point. And if that's the case, then perhaps this story isn't really about who these two characters are in themselves. Perhaps it's actually more about the broader story that they find themselves in, what they are doing there in the first place, together. In the temple there, praying, communing with their Lord and... One another? Are they? Are they really with one another here in Jesus' story? Are these two people of the same tribe in the same building praying to the same God actually in any kind of community? And if that's the case, If that's the question that's before us, if this little parable is really first and foremost about who they are together instead of about who they are as individuals, then perhaps the question we should be asking is one about what you and I do when we come together. When we gather here to pray as people of God, as we come to commune with one another and with our Lord. So perhaps one of the questions posed to us this morning is what kind of a church we are going to be. As a church, are we going to be the kinds of folks who want to be seen as standing apart? 
who say out loud, and each and every one of us can think of a church in our lives who likes to say out loud, thank God we are not like those people who point like the Pharisee does to the tax collector and say, thank God I am at least a better person than this guy. Jesus told this parable, Luke says, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and then regarded others with contempt. A friend of mine at Duke Divinity School in her last semester of seminary was in talks, like many of us were, with a handful of Baptist churches in the area. Like so many things in life, as the conversations progressed, the topics of conversation got deeper and deeper. After all, nobody likes having hard conversations on a first date. So one night she was sitting down with one of these committees when one of the younger members leaned forward and asked, I have a question. What would you do if a member of this group, it doesn't matter what the group was, use your imaginations if you'd like. What would you do, he asked, if a member of that group showed up here one Sunday and wanted to join the church? Being an honest person, she told him that she wouldn't be willing to bar that person, that Christian, from joining a church that she was pastoring, but she was also, she said, surprised by the question. She had gotten to know this committee member over weeks and months and had found him to be a kind and thoughtful person. So she pressed him on why he was asking. Well, this church, he said, is the last place on earth where I can bring my children and know that they will be around good people like me. And I just want to make sure that that's not going to change if we invite you to come here. Several years before we got to New York, A friend of ours up there realized that she was late. Not late to a meeting or late to work one morning, but late, late. Her cycle was late and a hastily bought test at the corner drugstore confirmed her suspicions that she was pregnant. Who the father was doesn't matter right now, but marriage was not a good option. And so as the months went on and her pregnancy began to show more and more, she began to withdraw in shame more and more. She withdrew from her family, her friends. She withdrew from her church. She stopped answering her phone, returning texts, but suddenly one December afternoon she heard a knock at her apartment door and as she looked 
through the peephole, she saw one of her pastors. With a deep breath, she opened the door and welcomed him in, took his coat, and offered him a cup of coffee. He sat down on the couch, and she, who was just weeks away from her due date, gently lowered herself into a chair. We've missed you, he said. Well, she offered back as she rested a hand on her belly. As you can imagine, I've been pretty busy. You know, he said, Christmas is coming up in a couple of weeks, and I know how much you've always loved Christmas Eve. So I'm here to ask you if you'd be willing to help us lead the service. As a matter of fact, I'm hoping that you'll be willing to read the New Testament lesson, the story of Jesus' birth. You know I can't do that, she said. I grew up in that church. I know how they think. They are not the kind of people who will just welcome me back like this. The pastor sat there for a second. And then he said to her, Well, it turns out, if you're willing, of course, you and I have the opportunity to help them realize that if they want to be, they actually are that kind of a people. Brothers and sisters, we are here this morning to do a number of things. But one of them is to celebrate the blessing that this place, that Hendricks Avenue Baptist Church has been in our lives and in our community. And y'all have heard me say this before, but that window... The welcoming Christ window that y'all installed in your original sanctuary and that y'all made sure after the fire to replicate in this one. That window is a statement of public theology facing our neighbors backlit at night so that it is always visible, arms opened to the community, eyes opened to whatever it is that our neighbors are dealing with, whatever they are welcoming, whatever they are wrestling with, welcoming them, inviting them. Seeking them, finding them, that window tells a story. And what it says is that that's who God is. And what it says is that that is who we are. That that is the purpose of this place, of us gathering in this place, that we are here to be welcoming. Which is just one more way of saying that we are here, each and every one of us, to be welcomed. 
that we know whenever we walk through these doors with whatever it is that is troubling us, whatever it is that is burdening us, we will be welcomed here because we, brothers and sisters, are loved. And so on this homecoming Sunday, with whatever it is that you have brought here with you this morning. Welcome home. And thanks be to God. Amen.